Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Frederick Pels, the CEO of Black Hawk Growth, their portfolio company with a number of different uh, companies trying to achieve different things in different jurisdictions. And if you want our feedback, opinion, and thoughts on that interview and the company itself, you can get that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. You can also get company reports on there, expert commentary from all around the world, their training videos, summaries of other interviews, and of course, a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other. And if you go now, there's a seven-day free trial. Frederick, how are you doing, sir? I'm well, Matt. You? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. We have so much demand from people, from investors to speak to you. And uh, thank you very much for making the time to uh, do so. Um, where are you speaking from? I'm in uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Right. And so you were telling me before the show, actually, I did know that. I did know that. You tell me what it was famous for and it made me laugh. Go on. What, 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 what is it famous uh, for? It's the festival city. And we also, uh, at one point in time, had the world's largest mall. There you go. There you go, folks. Edmonton. <laughs> Put it on the holiday list <laughs> for the fest- festival season. Hey, but look, um, you're going to tell us about um, Black Hawk growth today, um, if you don't mind. So why don't you kick off, give us that one-minute overview, and I'll pick it up from there. Sure. So Black Hawk growth, uh, it's an investment issue around the CSE. Um, what we're looking for is revenue-generating assets or exceptionally uh, innovative developments, um, you know, that can lead the charge, uh, bring shareholder value, and of course, um, revenue and cash flow to the business. Okay, so you've got a few products under that banner. So I want to understand what, how, how do you describe the company? Okay, first of all, and what is it that you're selling out to build here? Because some of these products, um, are, they're all you know, relatively new. You like innovation. Uh, you're taking advantage of situations. You're, you've got a track record as an entrepreneur. And I think that leads some of that thought process. But talk to us about what you set out to build day one with this vehicle. Well, initially, um, I vended in a couple of our uh, retail assets into Blackhawk before I was the CEO. Um, things shifted, um, you know, the, the marketplace shifted and, and Blackhawk wanted to go into a different direction. Uh, and that's when I took the reins and, uh, looking at what was out there, the most important thing for me was finding businesses that have, um, growth and, uh, really quick to revenue, low CapEx. Anything that I can move into OpEx, um, the company didn't have a ton of capital at the time. Um, so it was about bringing things in that we could build um, and create some substantial revenue for us. Okay. But, but what's the theme that's holding it together? So the theme was cannabis innovation. Um, we initially started with um, the space food product, which was a shelf-stable uh, cannabis uh, edible, and uh, it was unique uh, because that's the sort of the problem that you have with edibles. And being in this industry for over ten years, uh, for me to to see a standout edible is very very rare. They're all kind of the same. You got cookies, you got um, brownies, and a lot of this stuff goes stale. Um, a lot of the time, you'll open a package; it's not very good. Um, this really solved the problem. It was an, an innovative 
delicious um, and high quality product. And that was our first bend in. And that led us down the road of shelf stable food and, and innovative food products. So that was our, our kickoff point. Right. And then you've added a few products since then. So do you want to just talk us through the products and maybe we'll come back and dive uh, into each one of them. So what, what's in the uh, portfolio? I actually have some to show you. So these are our sample packs um, of the space food. So this is the first edible uh, that we brought on. And what it is, it is a stabilized ice cream. Um, they're 100% uh, real fruit, uh, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free. So for anybody that um, um, has tolerance issues, there, you know, anybody can eat them. So we eliminate that, um, you know, uh, prerequisite for a lot of people. Um, so this one is mango, um, and it's just it's ice cream and uh, cannabis. <laughs> and but, uh, but these ones don't. But, but it's ice cream in, in what sense? Is that cold that you're holding now? Uh, no, it's not cold. It's been stabilized. Right. So it's, uh, think of astronaut food. Okay. Right? This was the first innovation. This is what we, um, like it tastes like ice cream. So you put it in your mouth, it melts. It, it has the same flavor profiles. It's incredible. And for an edible, you need to have a certain type of bioavailability in the food itself to ensure that the cannabis effect reaches you efficiently. Um, the bioavailability of this product is phenomenal. Um, so anything high in fats, coconut oils, um, butters, um, anything like that is, is what you really want. And this is um, you know, very rich in that. It works very well. So how new is that? Um, so for us, I believe we brought it in um, late November of last year. Right. Sales? Uh, no sales currently. This is, we're just getting to packaging um, and delivery of samples. To so it took us a while to, to bring it to scale. Right. Um, I, I don't, I think this is actually the first time I've had a package to uh, show on TV uh, or, or any interview. Um, so this is mango, we have pineapple, we have strawberry. Um, it, it really is fantastic. And we hope to see it out um, in the U.S. Um, through one of our other initiatives. Um, but I think you can expect to see it in Canada. We're looking for an existing manufacturer to license and, and manufacture the product. Right. So you, you've got an edible, which is shelf-stable uh, product, which... It's basically another delivery mechanism into the edibles market. Okay, so there's lots of edibles. This is one which is unique for now, right? Because there's you know new stuff comes along all the time, and I'm intrigued as to you know what did you know about this space for? Because obviously you've been involved with cannabis previously. You've had some dispensaries. Um, you must know the market. So just for the audience, I mean, explain to us how you monetize this in some meaningful way in terms of distribution. Where does it go? What are the restrictions? What are the upsides? Sure. I mean, I'm I'm struggling to find the exact route to monetize it in Canada, um, and especially since we won't be building the infrastructure to manufacture it ourselves here. Um, in the United States, it's, you know, you have the arguably the largest cannabis marketplace in the world. Um, and you have repetitive uh, products that people enjoy, but are at the same time 
always looking for something new and something different. This is, it's the, the product that breaks in an entire league of brands. You can, on the back of something innovative like this, you can bring in any other type of, of brand that may not have that same um, uniqueness. And on the back of this, on the back of Space Food, bring in something that's less lackluster, but because of the uniqueness of the space food, it will sell the other product as well. I don't know what you mean. What do you mean? You say, you're saying that you can you can take the idea and white label it, or the fact, or you, you can, can introduce idea, You can white label it. The brand itself is strong, and the brand can bring on. Uh, it can carry the weight of other items that are not as uh, fascinating, not as innovative. So space food could bring on its own line of dried cannabis, for example. And based on the uh, experience that the consumer has with the space food itself, they're like, oh, I love the space food edibles. I bet I'll love the space food cannabis. So the brand becomes stronger because of the quality of the product, the initial product itself. Right. Okay. So that, that's not a, not a new model per se, but it's, it's a well-trodden path um, that you hope works. So tell us where you're at. You've just got the packaging sorted out. What sorts of conversations have you had in terms of distributing it? Do you have any sort of sense of the, the size and the power of those distributors and their ability to give you some sense of uh, you know, how, how much of this you're going to be able to sell? So uh, economics is what I'm looking for. I mean, we could probably sell more than we can produce at this point in time. Um, the conversations that I've had, and again, these samples just got shipped off. So that's going to be the real proof in the pudding. I can't, I don't want to speculate that these people are going to immediately fall in love with it, but as somebody who's been in the cannabis industry for this long, um, for me to find this to be an exceptional product, I believe the reception is going to be exactly the same. And in our preliminary phone conversations with any distributor repackager or anybody interested in using the product, um, they kind of just say, what, what is this ice cream? And we can sell it and, uh, and it doesn't have to be refrigerated. Tell me more. It's, it's right away. It gets the attention because it's something that doesn't really exist right now. But what I'm, what I'm trying to get at, uh, Frederick is how do, how do we work out what is a gimmick for now? You know, it's like the, you know, the grown up version of what toy is in flavor now versus something that's going to have a sustainable future. So, you know, I, I get what you're saying about, well, it's because it's innovative, we could build a brand around this. So therefore product extension gives it life and longevity and hopefully revenue streams. So can you, I just want to, I want more insight from you about how you go about delivering that, who the partners that you've got to work with, what's it cost you, what, you know, what, what percentage do you end up with? And you know what's what's that kind of grand plan for breaking into new markets, state by state, in in the U.S. All of that kind of good stuff, which says to me, ah, there's a real plan here, real revenue targets, and a and a way to deliver that. The uh, the metrics change depending on where you are, which state, which obviously which country between Canada and the U.S. I haven't really again broached Canada. Um, using California as an example, uh, we're looking at a twenty percent. Uh, feed of the distributor, um, and our costs are quite low for us to set up uh, manufacturing in any one of these facilities, um, including packaging. You know, our costs are 
very low. I don't want to disclose them publicly. Um, they're very low. You're looking at about a 600% profit margin um, on the product itself. Like it's, it, the, the margins are great uh, for now uh, with current tax levels uh, in a place like California. Um, you know, that's, that's even taxed. We have the room to adjust for that as well as cover any distribution costs that come into play. Um, Nevada is a bit of a, a different story because you don't have um, uh, the population that you have in California. Um, and also, I think retail distribution is a lot more expensive there. So the, the way that it breaks down, everybody that I've spoken to there is really quite different. Um, but again, our profit margins allow us to be flexible uh, and, and be able to adapt to any of the current legalized states' marketplaces. They also have different restrictions on packaging, um, and that changes the structure too. But again, we have so much room that it's it's really not an issue. Right. Okay. I, yeah. I, I guess at what point do you think you're going to have a bit more of an idea about how well, this pans out because obviously it's, I appreciate it's early stages. These are difficult questions when you're, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, taking one step after another and trying to get right, into market. When it's going to turn into revenue, I, I want to tell you. I, I wish I, I could. Well, it's that. it's it's what you said to me. You said I'm looking for growth uh, growth uh, products with quick revenue. So this uh, you must have an idea that you think you can get this into quick revenue. So, you know, it's one of your. We're, we're hoping we're hoping to have it done. Or December uh, before the Christmas season is, is what I'm shooting for pretty much on all of our initiatives right now. Um, these things take time, uh, especially uh, with the testing processes that have to be in place before it can hit the market. It's one thing to make the products, figure out the business model. We still have to account for testing, certification, and they have to be done in batches. So we have to manufacture the batches, send them out for testing, get the test results, provide the retailers with the test results or the distributors, then provide the retailers with the test results. Um, you know, where, where there is uh, innovation, there's regulation. So we have to adhere to those rules. And that's the biggest thing that slows us down in, um, you know, the, the black market, you wouldn't have these uh, safeguards in place we're fortunate enough to have these now, so now we know the quality products from the inferior products. So at that same time, we respect that process. It takes what it takes. That's out of our hands. Yeah, so I can only put so hard on that. Okay, sorry to take in this case because we, you know, we we have funded quite a few retail um, companies in the past, and we've looked at the way that they deploy into into the marketplaces, and you know, with with companies who've got products like yours. It's about packaging. You package the product up in different ways to appeal to different audiences at different times in different situations. And that kind of gives you a far wider reach. You've got this one product here and you're going to need to, um, you know, build on that thing to build, the, build on the brand. Um, so can I come back to the white label component? Because isn't that the quickest way for you to kind of get your product into market in terms of delivering a product in different ways to different audiences at different times. Aren't you just part of the solution? Absolutely. For the time being, a, a direct white label uh, with somebody else's branding is not something we're pursuing. Right. Uh, we will license manufacturers, though. I, I think it's it's good to get the brand name out there. The value is in the brand just as much as it is in the product. 
So right off the bat, I have zero interest in just going to a straight white label and, um, you know, a certain brand having our unique product. It will devalue our brand because of their availability. However, I'm happy to allow them to manufacture it using our brand. Um, and, and I think that keeps a lot of the value in the company. Okay, good. Okay, let's come on to Talk to Doc. Uh, what's that about? So Talk to Doc was uh, an initiative that, that we took on. We partnered with a company called Healy out of uh, San Francisco. Uh, they were, again, a cannabis contact. They were broaching the telemedicine space uh, for cannabis recommendations. Um, and uh, when the uh, coronavirus uh, started to come around, they quickly saw an opportunity to switch to full medical. Um, I saw the same opportunity, uh, you know, always appreciated their platform. It's phenomenal um, and reached out and, and attempted to bring it here to Canada. Um, it's uh, a work in progress. Um, again, bringing a, a cannabis recommendation, telemedicine that's designed in the U.S. marketplace to Canada um, requires a lot of moving parts, a lot of Again, compliance changes, security requirements. Uh, we're, we're learning that uh, as we go. Uh, we're bringing more medical professionals in and we have to tailor it to the Canadian marketplace. So it's, it's really evolving pretty far away from where it was when we initially launched it. And it, it's, it's turning into something really great. Um, you know, it, it's uh, something that I'm passionate about. I think uh, the telehealth space is gonna be huge and uh, you're going to hear a lot more about it from us. So have you done that under license? Is that JV? I mean, you say you've taken their... It was a, it was a revenue share model right. uh, that we have. Um, so but, but how, what's, that, what's that look like? They, they've got it in the States, I presume, and you brought it into Canada. Right. So it's revenue share in that's Canada. Right. That's right. Okay. Revenue share just in Canada. Yeah, we, um, we didn't have exclusivity with them in Canada. They just didn't see a, a need to pursue the Canadian marketplace. It's, it's really interesting how many people have that opinion of Canada that, that I deal with. They just avoid it. We do have a lot of regulation that is difficult for people to navigate or requires the use of consultants. And, and sometimes it's the, the trouble is worth more than, than the actual reward for a lot of these corporations. So uh, we have the, the ability to get it done so we come in and ask for the permission to do it. Okay, so given that what I know about Canada is in terms of the, the healthcare system, it's like here, NHS, it's free. There is a kind of pri private clinics here, there, and everywhere. So how do you, given that healthcare is kind of free, this is advice you see as, um, it's a bit wider than, hey, which, which, which uh, cannabis uh, uh, advice can you give me? This is bigger than that. You're gonna, you think that this is much bigger than that. How does that fit into the current healthcare ecosystem? What are you aiming to try so and deliver? There's, there's so many different types of practices. I mean, you have general practitioners, you have psychology, psychiatry, dermatology. Um, I, I'm not gonna name them all, you know what they are. It's um, finding a solution that we either laser in on a type of practice um, and promote that and, uh, and solely stick to that or uh, move on to some platform that can support all of this and where you have a drop down menu and says, who do you want to see? 
Um, the, the problem with telehealth in Canada pre-COVID was it wasn't viable for doctors. They weren't making enough money to do it. Uh, so none of them did. Uh, and they changed the billing codes to accommodate COVID. And this really turned telemedicine into a, a viable business model in Canada at that point. Um, so, you know, the entrepreneur in me obviously said, let's, let's get into this. Um, let's try and, and use things that we have existing and, and bring them over. And uh, it's, it's obviously a lot more in, in detail than any of us expected, but we're up for the challenge and we're excited to see where it goes. But how do you quantify, again, coming back to your thing, I want growth, I want quick revenue. You know, you, you saw this pre-COVID. You then, obviously, COVID came along to so change the world and people doing a lot more things online because you could stay at home. What's the future so, look like? So the, the future in this, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. The, the billing codes uh, for Health Canada, I believe, are about $40 per patient visit. Um, and that's for a 10-minute visit. They're actually limited on time frames. And um, we take a percentage of that. So it would be a 30% rake on, uh, on that visit. Uh, and then we bill the doctors directly. And then it would have been a split with Healy after that. Right. So the more doctors you have online, the more patient visits you have, the growth is pretty exponential. And it doesn't sound like a lot, 30% of $30 or $40, but when you have 5,000 visits every 10 minutes. Um, but where do you get those numbers from is my point, you know, because again, entrepreneurs, I, I, I love entrepreneurs and they also scare me. Okay. I, I would probably put myself in the same category. Um, sure, you too. Right. So they, they love a spreadsheet. I'm interested yeah. in what, where the data points come from for that spreadsheet. So it's nice to say 5,000 every, you know, it, that's great. But, What's the reality? How, what, how do you get to a point where you go, I'm, I'm certain of capturing X percent of the marketplace because, I mean, how do you determine that? Starts with one, um, really. Uh, that, was, that was our goal, was to make sure that we had doctors that were willing to, to sign into this uh, business model. Um, and we had success with the business model itself. It was the platform that we had to adjust to accommodate them. Um, so that was number one for us before we even looked at the patients. Um, the patients are looking for an easy-to-use solution. There have been some clunky, um, non-usable models, and they, they tried them, and they dropped them. And we don't want to be part of that, so we're really honing in to make sure that it, it works. Um, there's, you know, without mentioning a few of the competitors, um, we've seen the amount of visits some of them have per day. Um, so with proper marketing, I don't see why we couldn't yet talk to doc to that level. Um, and, um, it's, it's a, a much more user-friendly, um, interface. So we want to be able to market that, um, less so much. Everybody knows that they're going to see a doctor or hopefully they're going to get better. Um, what they don't want to do is use something complicated that will aggravate them preview to the to the consultation. So that's what we want to, you know, promote. Okay. So I love the irony of the fact that it's been delayed because of COVID, but um, that aside, we, we should um, look at like things like marketing costs, right? They're, they're a big, that's a big deal for something like this, right? You know, if you've got someone else's platform, even if you've had to adjust it, there's a, there's a kind of cost to that. The marketing, capturing an audience, that's the expensive bit. Where's the money come from? 
Uh, so Blackhawk is uh, fortunate to have pretty good treasury. Uh, I've been a pretty good steward of that. Um, we have close to a million in cash, uh, and another two million in securities, uh, liquid securities. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're right at the door of revenue on a lot of our other initiatives. So um, I don't really foresee money being an issue for uh, marketing on talk to doc or any of our other uh, products that we're putting out. Okay. Um, Medigen and uh, TBG, what, what are they? Uh, so Medigen is a Taiwanese biotechnology company. Uh, they have roots to uh, Texas as well. Uh, so part American, part Taiwanese. Um, they've uh, created a solution and, and it's a full spectrum solution is what I like to call it because um, we have a, a real issue with the way testing is being done right now. Most people are only taking one type of test. Um, TBG has both antibody testing uh, and PCR testing. The difference between the two, PCR tests for active viral RNA, um, and that's when you have the virus, It's uh, your body still hasn't developed any antibodies for it, um, and obviously when you're most contagious, um, and the antibody test tests for exactly that, they test for your body's production of antibodies to fight off the viral infection. Um, you really need both to get a full sense of how many infections you have in your country, city, workplace, uh, what have you. And uh, TBG has what I consider to be uh, the best test kit suite on the market. Right. And what's the relationship uh, with them? We are their sole distributor for North America uh, right now. Um, and we're submitting again on their behalf uh, to Canada for Canadian approval. Um, they also have all the necessary lab equipment for the PCR testing, um, which uh, is uh, you know, needed just as much as the kits themselves. Right. If you can't process the kits, there's no point in buying them. Absolutely, so it's a distribution for North America, big market. Um, obviously there are competitors out there and other people with already in the system as it were so again um how do you distribute it what was what's the process for distributing it what, what what do you need to kind of fit into so you're absolutely right there is a ton of competition out there um the biggest challenge that we're running into right now is um misinformation provided by a lot of the competition um you know and, and you hear it every time you speak to somebody, we speak to our sales staff and they, when they come back to us and say, well, they only want to buy one test. And my response to that is, but what do they want to do? Are they, are they trying to see how many people had the virus or are they trying to see how many people have it? Um, it's, you really have to do both. And um, it's not that anyone is, is, a, is a COVID expert. It's been around for five months. People are really learning on the fly. And it takes time to educate them. Sometimes uh, they have to, to learn the hard way. Um, we try and paint the whole picture, especially with the people that we're talking to right now. Um, there is there's a lot of confusion. So for us, how do we sell it? Right now, we have to educate. Um, we have a very good relationship with TBG Medigen. 
they have provided us absolutely every tool we need to do that. We have access to their doctors. We have Zoom calls. We show how the whole process works, including the testing equipment, um, which I've been offering for free on, on large orders. We really want to ensure that people know we're there, not just to sell kits. This is going to be around for a long time. The testing procedures are going to be in place after vaccine, during vaccine. Um, we're going to need this. It's going to be around for a while. So we're building relationships right now and we're trying to inform people as best we can. Right. Um, and there's a cost to that. There's a time cost to that. Right. Um, so, so the next thing is with sales, um, if you're uh, confident enough in your product and your sales staff is confident enough in the product, they go on contingent commission. So for, for me to go out there and spend the time um, to do it would be bad for two reasons. One, I'm too busy running the company. Two, I'm not really the best person to do it. Um, but we do have proper commission-based medical sales representatives that work with us, work with TBG, um, and really do not cost us anything. They brunt their own marketing costs. They use their connections, um, and, and they're rewarded you know, once they have sales, and so are we. So it's, it's a win-win for everybody. Um, we really don't have any capital tied up um, in promoting that okay. uh, right now. But here's what I know. So I, we, we've invested in, made a bit of money in the pharmaceutical space, and we've, we've, we've understood the, the sales uh, process in the U.S., okay? It, there are lots of companies with distribution ability, and there are lots of who'll do it on full commission, part commission, or just you know basic salary. Okay, that that's well understood. If I'm a sales guy and I'm 100% commission on a product, where I may be going in and talking about 20, 30, 40, 50 different products, I may have a big few pages of products which I can sell into my contact. It's not your contact; it's their contact. I'm going to go for the easy, quick win. Things are going to make me money quickly. So they need to know that there's a need for your product, that they can definitely sell it versus maybe, I don't know what else is on that list of things that they've got to sell. You know, there may be other competitive products on there which give them better margins. I don't know. You know, do, do you, have you, what, what, how do you manage that? And how do you ensure well, that that isn't? Yeah, I'm a real this product in particular we had uh, previously and, and how we really got into this was a, a different uh, manufacturer altogether um, you know the at the time COVID was still brand brand new um, there wasn't a lot of information there wasn't a lot of competition out there as time went on things got better we found a better solution uh, at least what we thought was a better solution and I've had really good success standing on the facts that um, you know, where our test results speak for themselves. I'm really going to stand on it if we get our antibody tests approved through Canada. Currently, there are no antibody tests approved in Canada because they don't meet uh, the specificity and sensitivity uh, thresholds that Health Canada has required. Um, TBG has been uh, independently verified by the John Hopkins Institute. Uh, Taiwanese government, Chinese government, CE, um, all of which every like we don't have a result um, high or low that doesn't meet the Canadian standards. So that's really what set it apart for me. Uh, a lot of people think Canada's a small country; it might be a little bit easier to get uh, things through. It's just not the case. 
the regulation here is, is very strict. Uh, they're really looking to protect the population. And um, if you get something through with Health Canada, you know you have a good product. Uh, and we needed something that we could stand on and say, yes, this will go through. Um, and I think we have that here. And I think our sales staff sees that as well. We were the last uh, approved antibody test um, in the U.S. under the FDA EUA. Um, and many other manufacturers are still waiting in queue or simply have been dropped off. And uh, that speaks volumes to the quality and the, the caliber of the product that we're offering. Right. So this is this has been built off the back of the SARS product. It now includes COVID as well. So you must have a view right. about what you think is happening because obviously no one hears about SARS anymore, but you must have a view about where COVID's going. You think it's going to be with us for a long time? You think this is a so long-term revenue or is this a bit like the kind of space ice cream thing where you think I can build on it? It's it's not going anywhere. Um, no time soon. Um, much longer than uh, the, the attention span of the public market space is going to be here. Uh, it'll still be around when it's not a hot ticket item. It'll still be a revenue generating item for us. Um, a million people so far have, uh, have passed away uh, because of COVID. And uh, you look this morning, uh, President of the United States, uh, First Lady, tested positive. Uh, if, if it can get to these uh, levels of government and this quantity of, of people have passed because of it, we're in trouble. We have to use these kits. We have to test. It's the only way that we can at least keep some normalcy going. Um, and that's going to happen during the vaccine. That's going to happen um, no matter what. Lockdown, no lockdown. These kits are going to be required. Okay. Well, I just want to get your view. So, do, do you know, a million people have passed away, which, which is sad. It, it, and, and I know there's lots of different ways that that's been measured. And I don't want to get into that that discussion because I, I pull my hair. Well, what's left of my hair? about the way that we do it in the UK. Um, but you know, you, you've got to have a view of people dying with it because of it you know all of that so you know that where's the kind of assurance how much research have you done to give you the surety were you getting that from dbg in terms of how long this sustains because I'm, I'm thinking about it for, like from investors point of view i want to know you've got a district yeah, you know you've got a distribution agreement which is you don't own the ip you don't own the product you've got a distribution agreement it's it's a you know, you're the sales team effectively, and then you're outsourcing that, right? So I want to know how long this product lasts. I want to know, um, and if I go, you know, if I go to TalkDoc, you know, what you're going to be able to do with that. I want to know how long the, um, you know, the edible space ice cream, kind of space ice cream is probably the wrong phrase, but, it, you know, how long that's going to last, you know, because you've got a, you're an entrepreneur. You've got lots of interesting, shiny new objects, which you Bill, because you're an entrepreneur, that you can sell and make work. You're fixing problems all the time. I get that. I, you know, like I say, you know, I, I do this. I do the same. But um, I'm trying to work at. Do I invest in your business? And where's the longevity come from? And where's the surety around that longevity? Or is there always going to be something else that you're looking at? Because nothing's actually kind of closed down yet. Do you, do you see what I mean? I'm trying. I'm trying. I like oh, you. Yeah. I like your approach. I like your attitude. But I want to see. I yeah. want to understand what gives you the certainty around the revenue. And by the way, long-term revenue. And by the way, margin. Are you making money? Where's the growth coming from? So that, that that's that's the discussion I want to have with you. 
Of course. I mean, in respect to the kits themselves, you're absolutely right. Currently, we are the sole distributor of this product. Um, we have to prove ourselves to TVG just as much as we have to prove ourselves to you. Uh, that's no question. Uh, am I confident that we can do it? Yes, because I'm confident in myself and my ability to do it and our sales team's ability to do it. Can I sit here and tell you that that's going to happen? Absolutely. And give you a guarantee. I want to. <laughs> We're working tirelessly to do it and we will. Um, but the, you're absolutely right. We have to prove that portion of it. As far as um, the edibles, you know, can I guarantee that this is a unique and long-standing product with good profit margins? Absolutely. Um, there is, um, you know, cannabis has been around for longer than, than me and longer than I've been in this industry. Uh, and it's, and it's going to be here to stay, especially with pending U.S. legalization. I think that's coming down the road. Um, and uh, it's, it's a product that's going to be wanted. It's a brand, you know, Betty Crocker, um, Post, uh, Kellogg's, you name it. All these brands came from a unique product. Everybody else copied them. They're still around and they're still the biggest. You know, it's okay to be that way for cannabis edibles too. So they're, they're not going anywhere. And, and that's what really makes it happen is the uh, ability for it to be shelf stable, sold anywhere, no refrigeration. It, it's really easy food. So it's, it's, really revolutionary with without going too too deep into the whole cannabis culture side of things it's it's something phenomenal it, it is and what worries me is it's phenomenal for now and there's always competition there's always innovation there's always new ways of delivering cannabis into, into the system right? right so when you wake up in the morning you, you see that rooster you know what i'm talking about right that's that's really where we're at here with this product i don't disagree with you there's going to be newer products. There's going to be more shine, more sizzle. And it's same with the kits, same with the food products. There's always staples. There's always things that you're going to need. You're going to need testing kits. You're going to need uh, shelf-stable food. You're going to need um, to see your doctor. And what you pick to do it is arbitrary. There might be something newer. There might be something better. You're likely to pick what you know. So and the, the good thing about being the first through the door is – likely we're going to be the person or the, the product that these people know. Look, I'm a, I'm a believer in, in first move for advantage sometimes. I, I, I am. Um, we didn't talk about New Wave. Can we just quickly deal with New Wave, please? Because, before we kind yeah, of, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> you, you're going to show me some stuff, aren't you? So yeah, what is New course. Wave, first of all? I, I should have some stuff, to be honest, because then, then you'd really be a believer, but uh, maybe next time, next interview, I'll say. So tell us what it is. So New Wave is a 13,000 square foot, um, fully licensed, GFSA, FDA approved um, uh, kitchen, commercial scale kitchen, bakery. Um, we manufacture shelf-stable donuts and baked goods. Um, and we licensed N-Wave um, is another company that has the technology behind um, the stabilization uh, tech that we use for the baked goods. We have exclusivity for that, um, Canada and the United States. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, shelf-stable food is, is something okay. that I'm, I'm really passionate about. You, you, you had me with donuts, but what's the shelf-stable mean? What, explain that for people. 
So there's two things that you see in a product. You have moisture content and moisture activity. Um, moisture content is what keeps it you know, flavorful. You don't want to bite into a stale donut. You don't want to bite into a stale piece of bread. It's going to taste hard, crumbly, like sand. Um, moisture activity um, is what creates that. It's not the moisture content. So if you could find a way to separate the moisture activity from that food, uh, you won't get that stale flavor or, you know, the, the rock hard bread or, or whatever. It's, um, and you, if you affect, uh, go after the moisture activity and not the moisture content, you still have a moist product. So really unnoticed uh, from, you know, something that's fresh baked versus a stabilized food product. Right. Okay. And that's what we're able to do. And these things last for how long? So we have to do, before I make any claims, I have to do uh, a food study. Uh, these ones were made uh, on Thursday, so yesterday. Right. Um, but again, I just, like, if I could show you, mm -hmm. it's been sitting out on my desk. Right. So this is a pistachio old-fashioned donut. Um, another thing, another innovation, like it just doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but this is... Uh, one of the new wave products. We've had the regular old fashioned donuts that I've sent um, that we first manufactured when we tested this process uh, in March, and they're still good. They they're still break apart like that. Um, one of the other products we have is the strawberry old fashioned. So same thing, this donut's been sitting on my desk since yesterday, I should have filmed it or something, but if you look at how it breaks apart, and the strawberry is actually baked right in there. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. Like it, it comes apart. It tastes like a regular donut, but it doesn't require refrigeration. It doesn't go stale. Um, it's amazing. Okay. So, and so remind me, you, you said 13,000 square foot warehouse facility, which what you own or you, you, how does that work? So we are co-housed uh, by a company right. called Special D Baking. Got it. Uh, their benefit from it is obviously manufacturing the donuts themselves. We stabilize them and then sell the stabilized product. Got it. So you're housed there. So you, when you say 13,000, you're, you're somewhere in the building along with the, the people who own that warehouse and they're producing other stuff. So why have you gone in there? Have they got something to do with the relationship with New Wave or...? Right. Yeah, they, um, they are the founder of New Wave, uh, is also the CEO of uh, Special Debate. Got it. Okay, fine. Understood. And where's, the, where's that building? Edmonton, Alberta. There you go. It's famous for three things now. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. So, again, I guess, I, you know, the same questions I'd apply there is, like, how do you go about You've got one million bucks in cash, Right. No n meaningful near-term revenue. I get you've got two million securities, but how do you apportion the money, the spend, the time on all you know four of these areas going forward? You know, it's, it's a, are you going to focus on the thing that's going to bring you the, the most revenue soonest, or is it just a portion twenty-five percent of the time for each? How does it work? Yeah, the um, the way that I see things happening here, like I said, we're aiming for before December on. Pretty much all of these initiatives for cash flow. Um, we have sold some um, TBG kits, just you know, 
Yeah, but how, or, how or, many? How many? Um, so I think it was 2,000 uh, as a sample with the intention of uh, purchasing more. Margin? So it, What's it's the not, margin? Uh, setting, uh, about 60%. Right. Okay. So, sixteen percent. But was that in cash? Was that in dollar terms, Canadian or U.S.? Uh, you're gonna make me get a calculator. It's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I am. <laughs> you are. Okay, hang on. Here. I'll tell you right now. So, about forty thousand. Right. Okay. Fine. So that's what that's one sale. Okay. So you. So coming back to the question is, so how do you know where to spend your time? If they can't all be delivering in Q1 next year, can they? That's what I'm hoping for. It's it just it worked that way. I mean, the the test kits, I'm pretty hands off with um, Space Food and New Wave. Um, look, these these don't exist on my desk for uh, this interview. They're here to be sent out. We're speaking to. Uh, one of the largest chains, uh, grocery chains in Canada uh, right now, as well as another uh, large C-store supplier. This product for them is is crazy. The only thing holding us back on serious cash flow, we could do about, with the current equipment that we have right now and stabilizing this food, right now we could do a million bucks a year um, just with what we have. And that's great. Um, but it's not going to fill the one of the largest grocery store chains in Canada, not by any means. So let's say they have 1,500 stores. Let's say one case per store per week um, puts us at a crazy amount, far above what we can produce right now. We wanted to prove the model. We, we spent the time, we spent the money um, getting to that point. Now it's really just getting the larger equipment in the space, getting the contract signed and making the product. So what do you mean getting the contract signed? So that, as in that's a, like almost a done deal or is that, you know, you've got some work ahead of you to kind of get a contract I, signed? I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that we should see something out of that very, very soon. Meaning you're already in discussion and they're saying we like what you've got. I mean, meaning... Very, very soon. We're, we're, we have had discussions um, previous to us manufacturing this product. This happened yesterday. Um, so, and, and again, it wasn't for this interview solely. It was, if you can see the rest of my office right now, I'm surrounded by donuts and space food. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. It should be 400 pounds, but it's not for me. It's all getting shipped out. Um, and we haven't even looked at south of the border for a new wave yet. Um, I really think it's going to be a standout. Uh, it's, it's a sleeping giant. Okay, Frederick, um, I've heard enough. Thank you very much. Appreciate you spending the time kind of running through that. There's a lot of moving parts, so it's, it's like it's like four companies in one. Uh, so probably took a bit of time to work our way through. Um, they've got a better idea of what you're about and what you're trying to achieve there, so I appreciate that. Um, sounds like a lot of things happening quite soon. Uh, pick up the phone and let us know when when some of those things start to drop. We'd be intrigued to see how you are progressing and building up, um, you know, uh, Blackhawk growth. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.